Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I jump in in my sparkfile. To be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my sparkfile. I jump into my sparkfile. Let's open up the sparkfile. Welcome to the spark file where we believe that everyone is creative but smart creative people don't go it alone i'm laura camion and i'm susan blackwell if you're an og listener welcome back little sparkly if you're joining us for the first time know that all are welcome here whether you have put your creativity on pause during this time or you've clung to it like a lifeline either way welcome but you may be asking yourself, wait a second, what exactly is a spark file? Where do I get one? What do I file in it? These are such good questions and we actually do have an answer for you. A spark file is a place where you consistently collect all your inspirations and fascinations. And here's the deal. We are makers who make all kinds of things. If you're anything like us and you're making stuff all the time or want to be making stuff all the time, you know the wellspring of inspiration can run a little dry especially now. But don't despair. We're here for you. And we're on the lookout for fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark creativity and peak curiosity, things that inspire us to get up off of our asses and make things like this podcast or a conscious approach to identifying our thoughts and balancing our brains, baby. Woohoo, I like. Every episode, we're going to reach into the spark file and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk to some folks who spark us too. And if you're not careful, you might just access a deep piece that is available to all of us. So without further ado, mm. let's open up the, the spark, spark file. file. Cam's uh, Blackwell. Camion. How are you doing? I'm so 
well. I feel happy. I feel excited. It's Spark Day, which as you know, is one of my favorite days. Favorite day. Sometimes it's not easy to get here because it takes some work (laughs) to pull the old sparks together. The day before Spark Day can be a little, you know, of a mad dash, but then Spark Day. The moments before mm. Spark Time can be a little bit of a mad dash. (laughs) Can be a mad dash. But look, we're here and I'm just Mm -hmm. super, super excited to be here. I think it's worth mentioning that we are continuing our experiment of I'm going to spark you this episode Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. next episode you're going to spark me back. I like it. I like it too also because... Once again, I have crafted a monster spark. It is it is large and in charge and it could be even bigger at a certain point. I had to it, we had to call pencils down. That's the thing though about about I guess like sometimes we call something a mini spark because you know, we've given it this amount of thought and we want to share it with someone and someone else might take it and you know really expand upon Mm -hmm. it but when we choose a spark and then we double click and expand Mm -hmm. if we're really sparked by something it it can go deep this was one of those times laura where i at first i was like oh i gotta do my spark homework it's big and i also knew it was gonna (laughs) be big and it is true it it went deep and it just kept expanding wide and the yeah. implications of it kept rolling out. And I was like, oh, around 1030 last night, I was like, oh, <laughs> no, this could. got to wrap it up. I've got to figure out a like just a, a pausing point. And I yeah. will say, yeah. I feel like I am on a little bit of a path of curiosity. Laura, you have heard me talk about this ad nauseum podcast listeners you have turned you've turned me you have heard me talk about this and turned me talk about this and you. a bit about how i'm just really fascinated right now with what all characterizes thought work what are our thoughts and how they impact us and how they create our lives and and i think that it's not a panacea it's not the solution to everything but right now i'm sort of seeing the implications in all different manifestations of how our thoughts are impacting our lives and this is another exploration into that but i'm here to tell you i don't think it's going to be the last because i think it's so uh, yeah. it's such a Again, deep, expansive spark made up of many, many smaller atomic sparks that I just, I'm really on a roll. I'm on a tear. Well, it really encompasses, it's interesting because, you know, we've talked about this a, a number of times and and I know what you mean when you say thought work and it encompasses a lot. And then uh, I think I've told a few of our clients this already, like, for example, I'm working on a spark about imposter syndrome. Mm. And that's just a little teaser, but there's thought work involved. Mm -hmm. And so like any number of things a person might be working on right now, they may be working on thought work without giving consideration of like, you know what I'm doing? Yeah. It's thought work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just to make it all relevant for you all, it really does directly impact our creativity. 100%. And by the end of this spark, episode, I will be, (laughs) by the end of this episode, I will be sharing how I feel 
it's immediately like in this moment, in this day, in this spark that I wrote, it is impacting my creativity. So I'm super excited. It feels, uh, I just feel this spark and spending time with it has made me feel hopeful and peaceful and really, really excited about just like loving you, Laura, loving our listeners and our clients and loving this life that I I feel, I I feel Mm. part of me, there's this part of my brain that's just like, oh, settle down, Susan. And then there's this part (laughs) of me that's like, truly, I feel expansive and just really happy and I feel a great sense of possibility right now. So I'm doing cheerleading moves. No one can see them except you. I can see them. They're not very good cheerleading moves, but you know, wait, let me, let me get real focused. They're real. Um, I think they're pretty good. They also look like you're working out on an invisible elliptical machine. Picture it listeners. Picture it. Picture it. I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about this and everything you just said about our lives and crafting our lives in the way that we want and using some thought work to help create it. So tell us about it. Should we dive in? Because this is going to, I think we're going to be here for a minute. Let's do it. (laughs) Um, So this is also one of those sparks where the jumping off point for my spark, where I thought I was going and what I thought this spark container would hold I went so off the path that uh, I don't even know if we'll get back to it. But the jumping off point for my spark today. I just want to say sometimes like the image for me, this is not safe. Do not try this at home for real. But the image is like diving into like a body of water that's like a pond or something and you can't see what's underneath. Yeah. So, But you dive in enthusiastically and then you're like, oh, this is what's under here. Oh, wow. Look at that. I had no idea. I think I'll like swim over here and, and then head back over there. Like you just really don't know. So I just love this image. You just dove in. Yes. I thought I was in a swimming pool and it turns out I was in the ocean. That's what it feels like. Wow. Yeah. Okay. The walls dissolved and I was like, oh, (laughs) we're not in an above ground pool. (laughs) What are these dolphins doing here? Exactly. That's exactly right. (laughs) So the jumping off point for my spark today was please take responsibility for the energy you bring into this space. Mm, mm. Mm. which we're going to explore in just a Mm. moment. So resources Mm. for the spark came from a Ted talk from an episode of Oprah Winfrey's television show and an episode of Oprah Winfrey's XM radio show, a podcast called the good life project, Wikipedia, and a bunch of other resources that I'm going to reference along the way. But back to this initial jumping off point cams, as you know, in our creativity group, we have community guidelines that everyone abides by beautifully. And it's one of the reasons the group is so lovely. Everyone is really emotionally evolved and they're fun and they're creative and they just, they, they just very intuitively abide by these community guidelines. Yes. And we recently added a guideline, which was, it's sort of the mother of all the guidelines, which is please take responsibility for the energy you bring into this space, which of course is inspired by the work of Jill Bolte Taylor and by the words of Jill Bolte Taylor. Now, can I confess something? Yes. I want to say, and my apologies to Jill Bolte Taylor, I have had a sign 
that says exactly this. Please take responsibility for the energy you bring into the space in my office, both my office out of my home and my office in my home for five plus years. I'm not exactly sure when I put it up, but five mm-hmm. plus years. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a credit An attribution, to her. but here's no. the thing: I'm not sure, and my my the amount of research that I've done up to this point hasn't revealed that that thought is original to her, or that 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 okay. string of pearls okay. of words is original to her. It okay. may have been, okay. you know, I don't. But know. But I didn't know the source. Norman Vincent you know? Peale. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. but <laughs> it may ring a bell for yeah. you that Oprah Winfrey. In the final, I think it was the final episode of her show where she did that sort of look back about really significant, memorable moments. She referenced that as one of the biggest aha mm. moments she'd ever had when she had that conversation mm-hmm. on her show with Jill Bolte Taylor. So that might ring a bell for you. Yeah. You know, I love Oprah. Yeah. People may also remember Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor from a TED talk that she gave in 2008. And if none of that is ringing a bell for you, let me just take a moment and fill you in. So, Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor is a neuroanatomist, an author, and a speaker. And I first became aware of her from her TED Talk, in which she beautifully tells a story from her life. And I'm going to share a bit of that story with you now. But as soon as you can, I highly recommend that you watch that TED Talk. It's 18 minutes. The story is unforking believable. And she's just a great storyteller. She's clearly brilliant intellectually. As a storyteller, she is so connected to her story. She's so grounded. She's so funny. It's so deep. And it really does have everything that I want in a, a, a story told by a great storyteller. So, even though she's a neuroanatomist and a great thinker, it is a beautiful example of great storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you get a chance, check that out. Right. But for now, let me give you and the listeners an overview of what she shares. But please do go back and uh, watch it because it, it really is a masterclass in storytelling. So there were a few factors that influenced why Jill Bolte Taylor grew up to study the brain. As a kid, she was fascinated by anatomy. She had this aunt who would have been a doctor had it been an acceptable course of study for a woman at that time. But Ugh. Jill, with her aunt, they would <laughs> dissect roadkill and they would marvel at the miracles of the anatomy. They weren't freaked out by it. They weren't grossed out by it. They oh. were fascinated by it. And Jill also had a fascination with the brain because she had a brother who was diagnosed with schizophrenia. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And she was so curious about how come my dreams, I can take my dreams and essentially make them actionable and, you know, do things with them. And my brother's dreams are experienced as delusions. Like, why? Why is that? So, so she dedicated her career to the research of severe mental illnesses. And she worked in a lab at Harvard in the psychiatry department, essentially helping to map the microcircuitry of the brain and how brain cells communicate. So she's doing this brilliant work. 
Yeah, she's really impressive. And then on the morning of December 10th, 1996, Dr. JBT, I'm just going to call her JBT because her, yeah. JBT woke up with a headache behind her left eye, Mm -mm. which she described as sort of like that feeling of like an ice cream headache that gripped and released and gripped and released. And because she was healthy and pain was unusual for her, she sort of was like, huh, and rolled into her morning routine. So she jumped on her exercise machine and she's working out and she looks down at her hands and she observed that they looked like primitive claws grasping onto the bar. And the way Mm. she describes it, it's as if she had shifted away from her normal perception of reality where she's sort of in the driver's seat of the experience to what she described as some esoteric space where I'm witnessing myself having this experience. Uh. Yeah. So her headache is getting worse. She gets off the exercise machine and she's trying to make her way to the bathroom and she realizes that everything is slowing down and a little voice inside her head is instructing her muscles. You've got to contract. Now you've got to relax, sort of like a conductor of an orchestra. Then she's, she loses her balance and she's leaning against the bathroom wall and she looks down and she realizes she can no longer define the boundaries of her body. She cannot discern where she ends and where the wall begins her perception essentially has shifted and what she perceived was the atoms that make up her and the atoms that make up the wall were all the same thing they're just Uh, energy isn't isn't that something else yes something else Mm -hmm. wow so she is asking herself you know there's that voice in her her head saying what is going on And then that voice in her head went totally silent. And at first, she said she was shocked to find herself inside of a silent mind. And then she says she was captivated by what she describes as the magnificence of the energy around her. Uh, And because I could no longer identify the boundaries of my body, I felt enormous and expansive. I felt one with all the energy that was, and it was beautiful there. And then all of a sudden, the brain chatter snapped back online and said, hey, we've got a problem. We've got to get some help. And she's sort of drifting between these two states, this voice inside her telling her that she needed to get help, and then shifting into a space that she described as beautiful, totally disconnected from the brain chatter that connects one to the Uh external world. And she said in that space, all stress was gone. There was a lightness in her body. She described it as peaceful, euphoric, innocent, and beautiful. And around this time, this internal voice crackles online again, and it's yelling at her to pay attention and to get help. And then her right arm became totally paralyzed and that's when Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor realized that she was having a stroke. Wow. And then her brain said to her, Wow, this is so cool. How many brain scientists have the opportunity to, to study their own brain from the inside out? Oh, so wh- she is just like <laughs> pinballing amazing. between these realities. So what? JBT didn't immediately know when she woke up on that morning in 1996 is that a blood vessel had exploded in the left half of her brain. And over the course of the next four hours, she remained conscious 
and she observed her brain deteriorate in its ability to process information. She said after the hemorrhage in her brain, she could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of her life. And she describes that state as essentially becoming an infant inside a woman's body. But because she remained conscious and because she's a brain scientist, there was a part of her brain that knew she was having a stroke and she realized she was observing from the inside all of the things she had studied in textbooks and in classes and in labs for decades. Wow. Isn't that, let's just take a moment and just yeah. say, isn't that something? So she knew and was able to have an awareness like, oh, this is happening and could name it and and observe it yeah. because she actually knew the name for it and what she would have called it had she been watching someone else's brain do yeah. it. Yeah. And and wow. because her understanding of the brain on a cellular level was so informed and so nuanced, she is it sort of I feel like she was passing through different states of consciousness and uh-huh. her brain, you know, different pieces of her brain were sort of trying to wrestle control of the wheel, if you will. Mm-hmm. There was that part mm-hmm. of her that was entering into sort of a transcendent state, a nirvana state. Yeah. And then there's that part that's sort of like, hey, kid, hey, kid, we're in trouble over here. But it sounds like she was also and then able an awareness. to be like, that's right. I think I'm, I think that I'm headed into a transcendent state. Yes. Like I'm having yeah. a stroke and the implications of that. And, uh, you know, it's, it was just, it's an amazing brain to have this wow. happen to, but she was conscious through the whole thing. Wow. So this stroke occurred in the left hemisphere of JBT's brain. So I want to talk a little bit about the brain. And I was I want to start with the left hemisphere. I'm going to call it old lefty. Mm-hmm. Old lefty, the left hemisphere of the brain, thinks linearly and methodically. Remember, she's having the stroke in the left hemisphere of her brain. So it's the part of her okay. brain that thinks linearly and methodically. It's all okay. about the past. And it's all about the future. The, the left, left brain. Lefty, yep. Lefty is designed to look at the present moment, though, and start picking out details, details upon details upon details. And then Lefty categorizes and organizes all of that information and associates it with everything in the past we've ever learned. And it also projects into the future and, and examines all of our possibilities. And Lefty, the left hemisphere, thinks in language, it's calculating, it's methodical, it's intelligent, and it keeps you on task. But according to Dr. JBT, perhaps the most important function of the left brain is that it produces a little voice inside of our head that says to its person, whoever the, you know, it says, (laughs) lefty the left brain says, I am. And as soon as Uh the left hemisphere declares, I am, then an individual becomes a separate, single, solid individual, separate from others, separate from the energy flow surrounding us. And that was the portion of her brain that JBT lost the morning of her stroke. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because I mean, people talk about that, obviously, that that is where a majority of like human pain comes from is this belief that we are separate. And that is taking place in the left brain. Laura, you were just saying this yesterday. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that we are like, and and so we do have a real need to feel like an individual like a I want to be celebrated for this particular collection of cells that I am. Mm -hmm. But I also want to be part of the, you know, the greater whole. Yes. And I think you're going to tell us more about that. So I I'm am. Gonna, yes. And, go, and go, go, go. hold that thought in your yeah. mind, though, because I feel like I want to hear what, when I was writing The Spark, I was reflecting on that conversation we were having where you were saying that, and I would love to hear more about what you think as you hear what I share with you. Great. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, what remained intact and what was predominantly running the show the morning of JBT's stroke was the right hemisphere of her brain. Mm -hmm. And according to JBT, righty, the right hemisphere, is all about the present moment. And I'm going to use her words here because I can't put it better. The right hemisphere thinks in pictures and it learns kinesthetically through the movement of our bodies. Information in the form of energy streams in simultaneously through all of our sensory systems and then it explodes into this enormous collage of what this present moment looks like, what it smells like, what it tastes like, what it feels like, what it sounds like. I, still, her words, I am an energy being connected to the energy all around me through the consciousness of my right hemisphere. We are energy beings connected to one another through the consciousness of our right hemispheres as one human family. And right here, right now, we are siblings on this planet here to make the world a better place. And in this moment, we are perfect, we are whole, and we are beautiful. Those are the words of Jill Bolte-Taylor. Now, to use the words of uh, my meditation teacher, Emily Fletcher, take a shot, everybody. <laughs> I have to just pause and say, I was watching a video that Emily Fletcher had posted on Instagram the other day, and she actually referenced me. She doesn't use my last name, but she referenced me, and I was like, oh, my God. You all take a shot, Emily Fletcher community. So um, we have a game that we play on the Spark File. Every time I reference Emily Fletcher, everybody takes a shot. Okay, so to use the words of my meditation teacher, Emily Fletcher, another way of describing this duality that Jill Bolte-Taylor is talking about is the phrase, you are the wave, you are the ocean. So the left brain creates the sensation of each of us as distinct, separate individuals, to your point, Cams. Mm -hmm. But the right brain knows we are all the ocean. We are all one thing, and that thing is energy. So in a fully functioning brain, both are true simultaneously. You are the wave, you are the ocean. You are the wave, you are the ocean. So to recap, on the morning of her stroke, with her left hemisphere knocked offline, that right hemisphere, that oneness was in the primary position. That was the primary state of consciousness for Jill Bolte-Taylor. So later that afternoon, when she woke up in the hospital, JBT was shocked to discover that she was still alive. Mm. There was a moment that she describes when she was finally, she had finally laboriously, this is in the TED Talk, like 
dialed, figured out how to dial the phone, took her like 45 minutes to call for help. And she's Mm. finally in the ambulance. And she said just, she felt her air or the spirit sort of like a balloon deflating. She had made peace with passing essentially. Yeah. So she was uh, shocked to discover she was still alive. And she described her mind as being suspended between two opposite planes of reality stimulation, light, and sound coming in through her sensory systems were extremely painful. And because she could not identify the position of her body in space, she says she felt enormous and expansive, like a genie liberated from her bottle. Wow. And she said, my spirit soared free like a great whale gliding through the sea of silent euphoria, nirvana. I found nirvana. And I remember thinking, There's no way I would ever be able to squeeze the enormousness of myself back inside this tiny little body. Wow. Wow. So Mm. in her TED Talk, she said she realized, I am still alive and I have found nirvana. And if I have found nirvana and I'm still alive, then everyone who is alive can find nirvana. And she pictured a world filled with beautiful, peaceful, compassionate, loving people who knew they could come to this space anytime and find this peace. And then she realized what a tremendous gift this experience could be to how we live our lives. And that motivated her to recover. And that recovery took her eight years. JBT. JBT. Thanks for coming back, JBT. JBT concluded her TED Talk by saying, so who are we? We are the life force power of the universe with manual dexterity and two cognitive minds. And we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world. Right here, right now, I can step into the consciousness of my right hemisphere where we are. I am the life force power of the universe, or I can choose to step into the consciousness of my left hemisphere, where I become a single individual, a solid. These are the we inside of me. Mm -hmm. Which would you choose? Which do you choose? And when? Mm -hmm. I believe that the more time we spend choosing to run the deep inner peace circuitry of our right hemispheres, the more peace we will project into the world and the more peaceful our planet will be. And I thought that was an idea worth spreading. Uh, That is how Jill Bolte-Taylor concluded that TED Talk. And as of the recording of this podcast, that TED Talk has been viewed more than 27 million times. And JBT went on to publish her story in a book called My Stroke of Insight, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey. In 2008, that book debuted near the top of the New York Times bestseller list, and it spent 63 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and is available in over 30 languages. But dig this, Laura Camion, and all you sparkly listeners. I'm ready. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor considers that TED Talk a failure. Whoa. Now, why is that, Suze? Because after this great epiphany, she wanted people to hear that story and treat each other with a higher reverence because we are one. We are one family. And while she was treated with a newfound reverence, she said she was treated differently. That's right. In the world, she observed that her story had not substantively changed the way people treated each other. And so in her heart, 
it was a miss. And I have to say, Oof. I heard that TED Talk mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. loved it. I loved mm-hmm. the ideas that she presented. I loved the oh, I loved the artistry. I loved her amazing whole body storytelling. I loved it. And my next thought was, but how? It's beautiful, but short of having my own non-fatal conscious stroke, how do I access that space? Is it through meditation? Is it through medication? Is it through ayahuasca? I craved actionable steps when I watched that TED Talk. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that for any TED Talk, I mean, to me, the goal is to spark a desire Mm, mm -hmm. and then action has to be taken. So it, the TED talk alone, I don't think can necessarily change people's way of being unless they decide. And now I'm going to take action. Yes. Yes. And without the tools, you know, I, I mean, it, it seems like you'd have to make a conscious decision to, uh, make a daily practice changing the way you use your brain. And, but I was also like, even back from that, before committing to a daily practice, I was like, what is the daily practice? Like, what are the steps? What is exactly. that? You yeah. You know what yeah. it is. Yeah. Well, I think Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor gave that a lot of thought as well. Yeah. And she describes herself as a woman on a mission that even if she gets another 50, 60 years on the planet, she has precious little time. And with this time, mm-hmm. JBT is rocking her purpose to help people recognize that they have deep inner peace that they can access in the right mm-hmm. hemisphere of their brain. And In this interim time, since that TED Talk came out, she has sought an answer to how people can access not only that right brain oneness, but a whole brain, a balanced brain. Yeah. And she has developed a way for normal people to know their brain and be able to access those different pieces of their brain and the experiences associated with it. So here we go. She says, to begin with, you have to be interested and willing to come into the present moment and pay attention to what you are thinking. Mm -hmm. Step one is sort of an interest and a willingness. And step two is to recognize this. This is something I have heard one million times, but I don't always, I can't always fully wrap my mind around it, let alone make it actionable. But I'm going to try to do so in this podcast and from this day forward, <laughs> recognize that you are not your thoughts. Mm-hmm. You are not your thoughts. Your the first time I heard that, Cami, and I yeah. was like, "Come again now? What?" Uh, yeah, it's. I tough. was going to say, like, I yes, I had heard that from a therapist years ago, and yeah. really grappled with it. I'm like, but if I'm not my thoughts, then, then what the I? fuck? Yeah. So what am I? So. That's what, Yeah, Yeah, so according to JBT, your thoughts are created by a small cluster of cells about the size of a peanut situated (laughs) in the left hemisphere of your brain. The peanut gallery. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and many of us let that little peanut rule our lives. And really, it's just a group of cells. That little cluster of cells gives us ego and language, and it's designed to tell stories and weave future possibilities, I think, based on past experiences, so that we feel safe in the external world. But, again, 
We are not our thoughts. So if we pay attention to what we're thinking and then decide, are those thoughts created by the peanut creating the kind of life that you want to make, Mm -hmm. rock on. But if they're not, then one wants to take some responsibility for that voice, those thoughts, and change those thoughts. And JBT says it's as simple as that. Now, I think it's one of those, it's simple and it's complicated. Well, it's also, it's also reminding me of, um, you know, the concept of manifesting things and, and through your thoughts and uh, way back, this is more of a, a medical thing. Um, but the, the idea of like, that book, you can't afford the luxury of a negative thought. Mm. So when you're sick, my mom read that like when she had cancer and that you, you know, this concept of like those thoughts shape your reality. Mm. And, um, and anyway, so I'm just, I'm just like, I'm intrigued by it because there are people who, who describe that, but in different, you know, in different ways. Yes. Yes. And this is what I mean by it's sort of like, I thought this spark was something. And then I was like, Oh, it's not a swimming pool. It's an ocean. And that's another piece of this ocean. Yes, absolutely. It's like another feature of this ocean. But difference is like, she is a doctor and lived through this experience, but also I believe has some scientific knowledge of, you know, the way the brain works. Correct. So when you hear, sometimes when I read things about manifesting things, I'm like, I want to believe I'm totally like Mulder and Scully. Like I want to believe, (laughs) but I still have like the peanut gallery is like, but, but do we believe in science? But science. But science. And so this is exciting that it really, it adds science to the equation. It it is based wholly in science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like. Back to JBT. She says, if you keep rethinking the same thought that say makes you angry and you keep kicking up the chemicals and feelings associated with that thought, that's when you will have the experience of harboring negative thoughts and feelings for years. But you have the ability to be aware of the thoughts and those associated feelings and let them sort of move through you. And you have the possibility of choosing other thoughts. You can only run one thought at a time, mm-hmm. says neuroanatomist mm-hmm. Jill Bolte Taylor. You can yeah. only run one thought of, at a time. So if you're running loops of thinking that aren't serving you, then you can give your mind something else to think about. So that the, I'm going to do a whole spark on this, but that's where you want to introduce something like a bridge thought. It should be something that is, you know, kind of believable to you. And we'll get into that more later. But for instance, if you look in the mirror and you say sort of like mean things to yourself about your body, if you're sort of like a fill in the blank mean thought, you can replace that thought with a bridge thought, which would be something like, I've been doing this actually, Laura. Mm -hmm. I, if I'm not getting out of the shower, I'm looking at myself in the mirror naked, I'm telling off. I will say to myself, that's what a human body looks like. Oh, nice. Instead of being like, I wish I was like a little slimmer through here. I wish my skin didn't look like that there. I'll be like, that's what a human leg looks like. There it is. A strong human leg. That's what the human midsection Mm -hmm. of a 50-year-old woman looks like. Sorry, 51. But like, that's what I mean. Like, you can create a bridge thought that you can wrap your mind around, but doesn't create this sort of associated cascade of chemicals and feelings in the body that is not serving us. And I think like what you're talking about is like, rather than going from that negative thought 
to trying to convince yourself. Like yes. I look at myself and I'm a supermodel. That's right. I, you know, I'm yes. Kate Moss. Like, and your brain is going to be like, but you're not. Exactly. But you're not. Kate exactly. Uh, and Kate Moss isn't Kate Moss, by the way. Thank you. You know. <laughs> Thank you, filters. Um, but, but yeah, so that bridge thought is like, it is a positive, but it's based in some realism yeah. that your brain can accept. Or it, like neutral. Yeah. I'll take neutral um, yeah, sometimes. Neutral, I'm right? like, neutral's better than just generating thoughts that are really uh, destructive. Yeah. But to begin yeah. with, you must have the willingness to set your ego aside to pay attention to the thoughts that your brain is generating, the feelings that are associated with those thoughts, and not only change those thoughts, but also um, let those feelings move through you and out of you and not get stuck in those loops. That's what we've talked about before. Emotions need to stay in motion. Right. That's right. Right. So like, just keep it moving through. You don't need to torture yourself that like, oh, I had a negative thought. Now I'm thinking, now I'm double arrowing. Yeah. Having more negative thoughts about the negative thought I had. I'm mad that I can't stop being mad. Exactly. uh Now this, uh, I'll just quickly say that Laura, you know that uh, there's a, a repetitive negative thought I have struggled with for like the past few years. And it's just this thing I could not seem to move. And I was just, I started doing this thing where I would catch it and I would um, notice it. And I was like, I I would just find substitutions for that thought. And slowly over time, it has, I feel like it's sort of weakened and it's sort of being absorbed back into my body and kind of processing out of me. And I'm thrilled by it. That's great. That's fantastic. And it ties to the upper limit. Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking that thought, I would think when I am worried, critical, blaming, or deflecting, I breathe deep and I ask myself what good things are trying to enter my life right now. And that was a substitute thought. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which also is like, like you said, it's, um, it's neutral. It's actually in the form of a question. It's not, it's not even claiming like a million good things are trying to enter. That's right. It's, it's yeah. what good things. But because I can only think one thought at a time, mm-hmm. it was enough to disrupt That's and right. replace. Yeah. So yeah. Jill's first book was called My Stroke of Insight, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey. And it details what happened when she had her stroke. Now she's written a book that helps us make the learning that she brought back to us actionable. (gasps) It is called Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice, and the Four Characters that Drive Our Life. And this book was written to teach people about the four major areas of the brain and how we can consciously access them and call upon them when necessary and appropriate. You know, I'm ordering this book right now. I know you are. And I also, I would love for you, Laura, listeners, you can do this or not, but I have to tell you, it took me, what I'm going to share with you now for me was a little bit complicated to ingest. So it's not just like an 18 minute TED talk, easy hack. Like it took Mm -hmm. me some time (laughs) to ingest it and I'm still in the process of fully understanding it, let alone implementing it. So for me, what helped Laura was having a piece of paper and dividing it into four quadrants. So making, taking a pencil and, and drawing like a cross on the page that divides the paper into four 
quadrants and just take some notes while I talk. That helps okay. me, but maybe I'm just basic and you all will, can process language in ways that I can. It took me some, hear some rustling of paper. Sorry. Um, I'm ready. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So four quadrants. I also quadrants. am going to simplify this greatly because I, this podcast is not an audiobook, and you should, it is again, mm. scratching the surface of this work and the writings of Jill Bolte-Taylor. So I yeah. encourage you to dig in at the next opportunity. So in the most basic terms, Jill thinks of the brain as divided into four characters, character one, two, three, and four. So in the upper left quadrant of that grid that you just made, Laura, we've mm -hmm. got character one. So in the upper left quadrant, you could write character one, left thinking brain. Character mm -hmm. one, left thinking brain, upper left quadrant. Upper left quadrant, character one, left thinking brain. So this part of the brain, this character in the parlance of Jill Bolte-Taylor, that produces sort of type A personality. This part of the brain gets things done. It is productive. It is goal-driven. It is punctual. It thinks in right-wrong terms, good-bad. It's organized. It's analytical. It's critical. It's judgmental. It's hierarchical. It's in charge of to-do lists. It defines mm. where I begin and where I end so that I'm a separate entity from those around me. It values money and materialism. These are all some features of character one, the left thinking brain. Sounds great. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm not being judgmental, but yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll go there. There's part of me that's like, as she described these things, as she sort of unpacked them, I was like, ugh. But she will make the case that we need all of it Absolutely. working in concert together. 100%. I mean, I was thinking that earlier, if you don't mind a tiny tangent, I was thinking about this, like in terms of um, the creative types we talk about. And like, for example, the A-lister. And if you are not, if you're not tapping into that, I am separate and special and unique and deserving of whatever fame and accolades I am, you know, searching for, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have A-listers. Like we wouldn't mm -hmm. have people like driven in that particular way. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm totally on board with this idea that what we need is a balance of these four yeah. quadrants. And I can't wait to hear more. I'm going to give you more. So in the lower left quadrant, we've got yes. character two, AKA left brain emotional. So mm -hmm. This piece of the brain protects us from harm. It perceives threats based on the past. It holds past emotion, trauma, and pain, but also it's anticipatory and it mm. anticipates pain. And it, so anticipatory pain can be felt here and you can really indulge, you can linger a oh, while yeah. in this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It is perfectionistic. It is cautious, it is anxious, egotistical, suspicious, deceptive. If it's unhappy, this character two left emotional brain wants everybody to be unhappy. Oh. This is where craving happens, and this is where the emotions around addiction occur. 
or live, I guess. I just think also about like hurt people, hurt people. Does mm-hmm. that, and that lives in here. That's right. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Oh, good. This is where alerts and alarms go off for danger and anger when something is different f- from us. So character two, AKA left brain emotional contains among other things, the circuitry of our racism. Whoa. Yes. Yes. This is where I want something to be different than what it is, which we also think of as suffering or anger. This is where this lives. This is where things are horrible and life's not fair lives. This is where my happiness is dependent on the external world lives. So, but, but also this emotional left brain is an instrument that allows us to interact with the external world. To your point about hurt people, hurt people, Jill Bolte-Taylor encourages us to name these different characters. So I just started to play around with this. I'm not finished, but I was like that character one, that left thinking brain that is sort of like productive and goal-driven and I'm like values, money, materialism. I was like, oh, that's the worker be proud of my brain. That's uh-huh, the worker bee. Uh-huh. Yeah. But this lower left quadrant is, as much as I hate to admit it, the thing that came back to me was, I always think of uh, Donald Trump as being this sort of very mm. damaged mm-hmm. uh, individual and act so damaged, so hurt that he is acting out in this very damaging, very hurtful way. And so I called that part of my brain the broken Trump. But maybe I'll come up with a different part of that just so I don't have to invoke his name. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about something. And that is that, um, see, for me, character two, left brain emotional is like, um, oh, well, child of narcissists. I'm like, so that like ability to perceive threats is, you know, it's really built up as a, you know, as a skill. But I know people in my life. West A, who doesn't have that experience, doesn't have a lot of anticipatory pain because he doesn't call upon pain from his past. And so, like, when we describe this, this, this left brain emotional, I'm like, oh, I wonder what this is like when this is not like a traumatized person. Yeah. Well, it could be a person person. who's sort of like, oh, I just see potential danger and I'm going to make sure that I steer us to safety. That yeah, could, that could be yeah. how it shows up in a West Day. Yeah, and I'm not saying that he doesn't, you know, feel obviously he has uh, vulnerabilities and and yeah, pains, etc. But I think less trauma, and so not to call Wes out, just in general. Hi Wes, we, we're calling you out, buddy, hi, sweet Wesley. Um, but I'm curious about like like there's less deception, there's less suspiciousness. There's yes, maybe, you know, some of those traits that I could imagine. It's like all of this is on kind of a scale, or maybe how much of us, how much time we spend living in this, this quadrant uh-huh. or how much uh, um, emphasis we put on this. Absolutely. Quadrant. This actually reminds me, you know, I just came up with a different name for this, this character yeah. too, left brain emotional, which I can't say publicly, okay. but um, because, <laughs> but I know a person well yeah. in my life who lives predominantly in this space and acts predominantly from this part of their brain. Yeah. And 
they are extremely wounded. They are extremely suspicious. They expect, they anticipate, based on their past um, pains and traumas, they anticipate more pains and traumas coming in the future. They are deceptive. They, uh. they If they're unhappy, they want everyone to be unhappy. I know this person well, so uh-huh. I rename this part of the brain with that person's name, which I shall not say publicly. But you'll tell me later. Maybe. Of course I will. I'm I'm thinking right now, I may come back to a different one, but right now I'm thinking about this as open wound. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay. But also it serves a purpose. It does keep us safe and, you know, yeah, anticipates dangers. Perceived safety. Yeah. Like this person thinks I'm going to, if I let go of this, I will not be safe. Yeah. 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 Okay. So now I want to jump over to the right brain, which is all, if if the left brain is all about the past and the future, the right brain is all about the present moment. And I want you to now visit that lower right quadrant, lower Mm -hmm. right quadrant in your notebook. We've got character three right brain emotional. This character three right brain emotional is attuned to how it feels to be in the present moment in this body. How does the clothing feel against your skin? How does the humidity in the air feel? It is playful. It is creative without judgment. (laughs) It is interested and empathic and forgiving and curious and awe-inspired. It's also an adrenaline junkie. It's good with chaos and mess. It's good with a day without a schedule. It perceives itself as connected to other people, part of a tribe. It cares about the collective, the planet, the climate, humanity. That is (sighs) character three, right brain emotional, lower right quadrant. I'm taking a guess here, but when we are in the presence of uh, an act of creativity, a work of art, whether that be sculpture or theater or film or painting, it, is it right brain emotional that is like allowing us to connect deeply and in the moment? I It might be right brain emotional, but it might be this next, it might also okay. it's a span into this next character. Okay. So I'll describe it to you and maybe we can unpack that a little bit. Okay. So finally, in the upper right quadrant, we've got character four, right brain thinking. So if you're following along with a pen and paper, upper right quadrant, character four, right brain thinking. The consciousness of right brain thinking character four is about no boundaries. It's about peace and good and nurturing. It is filled with gratitude. The goal is to love and be loved unconditionally. It is grateful. It is connected to all that is. It's open-hearted, expansive, and generous. It is that sense of deep inner peace. And prayer and meditation and religion, all of it, I think altruistically, the Mm -hmm. ultimate goal of it is to reach this space. It's not just about power and money. It's to reach this space. It's this, this character for right brain thinking is all about nurturing and loving others. So I, to your question, Laura, I think sometimes when we see a piece of creativity that 
we might describe mm. as transcendent, it might be taking us into three or it might be taking us into four. And maybe Jill Bolte-Taylor will have to clarify that for us. But I've been in the presence of other people's creativity and in the presence of my own creativity and my own self-expression that takes me all the way to character four. What um, does was what does um, our dear doctor say about multiple quadrants being lit up at once? Like, can we be, are we all, are we always only in one? The reason I ask that is because character two, our left brain emotional may inform why certain pieces of art affect us more deeply than another piece of art. I don't think I know enough to know the answer to that question, but here's where my mind goes when you ask. (laughs) I don't know facts, but I've got opinions and here's where my mind goes. We were, uh, we have a wonderful client, Julianne, who is making wonderful work. And mm-hmm. the foundation of it is movement, specifically tap dancing and language. And mm-hmm. it's, it's wo- woven through with her activism and her desire to be of service and be an agent for positive change in the world. And she made a point the other day when she was uh, presenting a piece of her creativity to the group, how the work that she is doing based in science lights up all the parts of the brain. Yeah, it activates all the parts of the brain. And so I my suspicion, which I would have to do more Uh research to, Uh you know, see if I'm accurate here. But I think that there are things it might be one of the reasons something like Hamilton thrills and delights so many of us because it's activating so many parts of our brains. Yes, it's like the language and the speed at that it's coming at us is really engaging. And it's literally about the past. (laughs) It is about the past, um, but it's in the present yes, moment but it's in the and, present. and we're experiencing it with a community of people and we're all breathing together and our hearts are beating together if it's doing its job right. So yes. I feel like I suspect. I think you're right. I yeah. suspect that the answer is yes. I feel like the work that we have enjoyed with um, Anthony Viniziale from Freestyle Love uh, Supreme yes, that's who and, I was and his, his deep interest and expertise around how the brain works also has pointed to there are things that light up. And we've seen those brain scans where the whole brain is lit up. That's right. Yeah. Improv and like what they, their freestyle activates at least a number of the quadrants. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I suspect your suspicion is correct. (laughs) (laughs) We'll dig deeper on that. Um, But Like we were saying earlier, while we may be drawn to one or or two of these quadrants slash characters, Jill Bolte-Taylor asserts that we need it all to function and to create. Mm -hmm. And when people ask her why on earth she came back from this right brain nirvana reality she was living in, she said that while it was absolutely fantastic, she believes she would have plenty of time for that kind of peace after she died. After she died, all the chatter goes away and she'd have plenty of time for that peace. And to live completely in the right brain was a completely non-effective way to be. You have to have it all to be a functional human being. And she knew that she had to recover and come back so that she could share her discoveries with the world to make the world a better, more unified, peaceful place. And to do that, she had to exercise. She had to recover and then really exercise 
all of that left brain goodness. Suze, I know that um, you're not a, you know, a person for organized religion, but I just want to pause and just say, however our brains were made, how fucking phenomenal, like how miraculous, how like that this all works together in this way. I mean, it's, you know, human body, you cannot help. If you really start to think about it, how can you not just spend days and days and days just marveling about it is the extraordinariness of it. Extraordinary. And that's another thing that's so fun about listening to Jill Bolte-Taylor and reading her work is because she is somebody who knows the science of it and marvels at the miraculous complexity of all of it, the way that it yeah. evolved. That's right. I said it evolved. Like it's... Um, and you said miraculous. Yeah. And I said miraculous. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, Cams. I'm with you. It's, yeah. it's extraordinary. It's one of the reasons I was so excited. One of the reasons that I am so filled with like euphoria about talking about this with you today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So according to JBT, the ultimate goal really is whole brain living, consciously utilizing all the parts of the brain when they are most useful. And as I said, she encourages people to name each of these four different parts of their brain so that each of us can own those identities and create healthy patterns and choose moment by moment which thoughts you want to be thinking and which parts of your brain you want to be utilizing and how you want to be in the world. She believes that the evolution of humanity rests in this whole brain thinking. No less than the evolution of humanity, baby cams, so that we have the power to choose moment to moment who we mm. want to be in the world, which she believes is the ultimate freedom. And you know, the, the moment she said the F word, freedom, I was like, <laughs> you, you, you got me, Jill Bolte-Taylor. So she does this exercise that she calls a brain huddle. She said she does it about 30 times a day. And in a brain huddle, in a, in a instant, she has these four parts of her brain huddle up, assess a situation, and consciously decide which part of the brain she's going to call upon. To serve the purpose. That's right. That's yes. right. So this is where we get into action. So for instance, she this is an example that she shared in a podcast that I listened to. If she's out on the lake where she lives and she's paddleboarding and she starts to see a storm rolling in, she is in her bliss and her character for bliss is having this wonderful time and is observing the drama in the sky as just being so gorgeous. And then her character three says, oh, I love it out here so much. And then character one comes online and says, it looks like we're about to have that's not, we're about to have a lightning storm. So <laughs> we might want to think about going in and then character three chimes in and says, let's wait, let's just wait until we see if there's, actually lightning. And then little character two chimes in and says, I'm not very happy about this because if this paddleboard deflates, I'm going to be stuck out here and there's going to be lightning and we're going to be in danger. Yeah. 
And character four is watching this whole conversation saying, if we live, we live. And if we die, we had a heck of a run. And this is just a sample conversation between those four characters. What JBT is proposing is that we're able to identify which pieces of our brains are thinking slash talking to us and having conscious choice about which parts of our brain we want to pay attention to and when, which again, she believes leads to personal freedom. Jill Bolte-Taylor states that the best approach to living stems from the consciousness of the intention of the right hemisphere, which nurtures oneness and greets the world with that. And then using the tools of the left hemisphere to create and be productive in the world. I'm going to say that one more time. The best approach to living stems from the consciousness of the intention of the right hemisphere, which nurtures oneness and greets the world with that, and then uses the tools of the left hemisphere to create and be productive in the world. I'm repeating myself throughout this episode because I have to tell you, it took me multiple listenings to wrap my mind around this. And to your point about a TED talk, is there to spark curiosity? It's not going to be the thing that... I mean, it has to set off a chain of action. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm just slowing it down and repeating myself. It's for Mm -hmm. me as much as it is for any of you listeners. It helps it really sink in. Yeah, yeah. So I want to enter into what are we making of this spark that Mm -hmm. is Jill Bolte-Taylor, her brain and her work. Well, if you're Jill Bolte-Taylor, you tell your story. You... I'm Camion. Talk about if you have to live it, you might as well make something out of it. Jill Bolte. This was painful. This was a painful, laborious process. And Jill Bolte Taylor has said, if she went back to that morning and had a choice about it happens or it doesn't happen stroke, no stroke, Mm -hmm. she would take the stroke. It's led to so much learning and consciousness and, purpose, clarifying her purpose. So she's like, I take the stroke. So, and I just want to say that for people who might be going through something right now, Mm -hmm. we all are or are going to be as long as we're alive. There's possibility. There's possibility even in extremely painful circumstances, there is possibility. So there certainly is. So here's what Jill Bolte Taylor made out of that possibility. She's written two books She teaches, she speaks, her purpose has been clarified and focused as a result of this lived experience. She's made a whole life where she travels the world keynoting and spreading the word about her work. And then six months of the year, she lives on a boat, on a cove of a lake, communing with nature. Jill Bolte-Taylor is rocking all the quadrants of her brain. But what else has been made of this? According to Wikipedia, the Cedar Lake Ballet Company made a 75-minute ballet called Orbo Novo, inspired by Jill's work. Mm. Orbo Novo means new world. And the text that 17 dancers speak during the first moments of this ballet comes from My Stroke of Insight. And the choreography is sparked by the duality between the left brain's rationality and the instinctive, sensual responses of the right brain between the control and the lack of it, between balance and instability, between solitude and society. So maybe you, 
make some movement, some dance. I mean, a dance piece is would you know is an extraordinary. It's it's a great it's spark, an amazing yeah. thing to interpret. Yeah, by a but, dance. But if dance isn't your jam, yeah. how about a movie? The book, My Stroke of Insight, and Dr. Taylor's Life Rights were optioned by uh, Ron Howard to be made into a feature film with him directing and Jodie Foster starring in the role. Of JBT. Mm. But after Ron Howard's option expired, Oprah Winfrey scooped up those Oprah. rights for Harper yes, Films. So more on yes, this story, did. more on that as story it as it develops. If you're not a film lover, how about some music? In 2019, on the occasion of Dr. Taylor's 60th birthday, the Cecilia Chorus of New York presented the world premiere of 50 Trillion Molecular Geniuses at Carnegie Hall, setting text from My Stroke of Insight to music. And I'll tell you what else I'm making of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As you know, Cam's, I have been wrestling. This is a small thing. Yeah. To me, it's a big thing. Yeah. I have been wrestling with a conundrum. You know this, Laura. When I set aside downtime, my thoughts mm-hmm. don't always let me rest. If we have a little bit of time off, for instance, I have sometimes my thoughts will be thinking you need to be doing more you need to get more done you need to be cleaning you need to work through that pile of stuff you want to do why aren't you painting why aren't you getting your mm-hmm. bookkeeping in order <laughs> blah, blah, blah. why aren't you resting why aren't you resting you're resting wrong and it really <laughs> taints this much needed downtime it makes it feel stressful and unsettled instead of being peaceful and restful and what i'm discovering through the work of JBT, is that my brain, which has been working so hard with Laura to build a business, to create on schedule things like this podcast, (laughs) that left brain has been working so hard and my brain wants some right hemisphere time. Mm -hmm. But my character one, that left hemisphere thinking, and probably also sometimes left hemisphere feeling is so strong and it wants me to stay on task even in my downtime. But now I know what I'm aiming for is a life that embraces whole brain thinking. And Jill Bolte-Taylor talks about how the left brain push, push, pushes, but we also have to pause. The stress circuitry inside our brain will dump cortisol all over our cells if we keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And Christopher Still, if you're listening to this, (laughs) (laughs) pushing and pushing and pushing, but we have to pause. And I also know now those character one and two voices, those left brain voices that are saying those things to me when I'm trying to rest are not me. They are just thoughts generated from a little peanut-sized cluster of cells, and they're doing their job. They're trying to keep me on track. They're trying to keep me safe. But it's a good thing to let myself have some right hemisphere time, both thinking and feeling. And so what does that look like? I think it looks like rest, I think it looks like creativity not tied to deadlines or money-making or public consumption. Mm -hmm. It is rest for the sake of rest and rest for the sake of play. But to get there, I think it has to start with a willingness to be aware of my thoughts, identify which character in my brain is speaking, and when necessary, huddling up and deciding which character's suggestions are most useful, appropriate, and helpful in that moment. So that has been a real point of clarity for me. Yes. Yeah. All of that. I really love this, Suze. I love it so much. I'm thinking about the brain huddles that I want to have. Like, let's just 
bring the team together here and yeah. determine best path forward. Yeah. I think about our work, Laura, which I think at its best, our work, we are striving for transcendence. We are striving oh. for providing ourselves and others with a character for experience of right brain feeling. Yeah. And to get there, we have to utilize character three, which is that right brain thinking, but we also have to rock the left brain. We have to yeah. plan our curriculum beautifully and craft yeah. it. We have to start our classes on time. We want to make sure that our accounting software is in place so that we can track our earnings. Like yeah. we want to even anticipate what future possibilities, including future dangers might, you know, right. be afoot so that we can, all of it, all of it, all of it. Suze, I like, I'm, I'm really excited about, there's two major thoughts that are going through my mind as we're talking. Say about them out loud. Yes. I'm going to say them. I'm going to declare them. So, so two things. One is this is not for everyone, but for those, um, for those like people, those clients that we have that like really swing big, that want to make a piece that is not just, um, a, you know, a personal piece, which uh -huh. is, which is its own thing, but rather like, uh, they aspire to the Hamiltons of the world, the game changing, mm -hmm. life changing impact of a show like that for those people running a P like taking their piece through and it, assessing it in the development process mm -hmm. for, does it have aspects that touch all four quadrants of the brain? Yeah. And making that a filter through which they should think at some point, maybe not right at the beginning, yeah. but along the way, does it touch all these points and, and therefore will give it a much better chance of having that level of impact? Um, which is not to say that those things that have the very personal impact, like that's, that's oftentimes my thing. So, you know, there's no judgment attached to this. I'm just saying, um, for those who, who aspire to that, but then similarly for those who aspire to craft a life, a well-lived life, the container that they choose to hold their life, it yeah. needs to contain the thing, like touch points, whole brain thinking. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. each of these, like, I'm, I'm excited to get into the book because I do think like, I want to know what does a healthy character to look like, not an, mm -hmm. not an unhealthy character too, mm -hmm. but like, can, can character to be, be healthy and be, yes, do what it does best in terms of uh, perceiving threats and using past emotions to inform, mm -hmm. you know, what we can anticipate in this moment. Um, but can it be in a healthy great way? Great question. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So a big life can, you know, can we build a container for a life that has four healthy characters mm -hmm. and that utilizes each of them to their best capabilities? Amen. Yay. I love it. I love, I love it. this spark so much. I am telling you, I, I do too. It brings me a great deal of peace, even to yeah. be able to say, have this language to say to you, Laura, like if we have been going like writing left brain business yeah. building uh, for a long time to be able to say, Laura, I feel like 
we say it in other ways, but to have yeah. this resource to draw upon and to say, I need a day that is yeah. unstructured, that is, I'm not making stuff for others' consumption on a deadline. It's not monetized. Yeah. It's... um. And, and on a day-to-day basis, it tells me that it's important. It reinforces to me that it's important that in addition to the creative practice that I have that is publicly consumed, things mm-hmm. like this podcast, mm-hmm. I I know this about myself, but it really reinforces that I need to have a creative practice that nobody else gets a vote on. Yep. It's not tied to public consumption. It's not tied to deadlines. It really is just tied to the pleasure or the, just right. the, I won't even say pleasure, just the experience of that free creativity. Letting your right brain have some fun, letting your right brain have some time to at the wheel. stretch out. Yeah. yeah. At the wheel. Yeah. 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 Suze. Yeah. Yes. This yeah. Is, uh, this is amazing. Oh, thanks I'm Laura. I'm so excited by there's this a, park. There's a few more thoughts I want to share because I think, there's help. They were helpful to me, so maybe they'll be mm-hmm. helpful to you all. But um, these are. This is from an article that Jill wrote for AARP magazine. Oh, have you <laughs> received your card in the mail? <laughs> um, but th- so these are Jill's words. Uh, all comebacks basically happen in the brain, and I think she was referring to both her eight-year recovery from the stroke, mm-hmm. but also. The, in the in a 24-hour cycle, the recovery that sleep provides. So all comebacks basically happen in the brain. So you need to treat your brain right. Number one, make sleep a priority, especially when there's trauma. Brain uh-huh. cells are living matter, just like we are, and they need rest. When you don't sleep, you feel foggy because the cells didn't have time to clear the waste out of your body. Oh, yes. She, she goes on in this article that she cuts out all screen time three hours before bed to avoid that energetic buzz. She also says, it helps that I live on a boat, which to me is like a giant waterbed. There are nature sounds. I sleep like a catfish at the bottom of a lake. Can we just get that into the, (laughs) can we make that like a Southern phrase? Oh, I slept like a catfish at the bottom of the lake. (laughs) She also said, uh, watch your nutrition too. A brain needs water Mm. to function properly. It needs fruits and vegetables Putting sugar in your body only makes it harder for cells to recover, which makes makes mm. me sad because I always want a sweet s- snack at night. I mm. always want a sweet snack at night. Celia Kina Bolger, if you're listening to this. Yes. Uh, sweet um, snack. Also, she says, move your body. Movement is everything. Yes. Otherwise, more and more waste builds up. So we've know all these things. We've heard these things before from different thought leaders, you know, whether it's the Nagoski sisters talking about completing the stress response cycle or yeah. We all know that we need to get plenty of sleep so that our cells can clear out waste and recover. We need to minimize that screen time. We need to drink a lot of water, fruits and vegetables, try to uh, you know ease up on the sugar. And that movement is everything. It's just everything, you know? Yes. Yeah. So ultimately, yes. what do I make of this? I'm aiming for that whole brain living that Dr. JBT describes living that stems from the consciousness of the intention of the right hemisphere, which nurtures that oneness and greets the world with that oneness and then uses the tools of the left hemisphere to create and be productive in the external world. And you thought that was my spark, but I just want to bring it back around to please take responsibility for the energy you bring into this space. Yes. 
If you're not familiar with that phrase, that is a sign that Jill Bolte-Taylor had in her hospital room when she was recovering from her stroke. She was essentially living in that right brain space where she was at one with every being that entered into her hospital room. And if somebody entered into her hospital room, she was all perception. And if they were in a bad mood, if they wouldn't look at her or talk to her, but would talk to other people in the room or talk to her mom and not address her directly and ask her questions, she felt it viscerally palpably. And so, so as a result, a sign was made, please take responsibility for the energy you bring into this space. Oprah Winfrey has adopted this. She has this in her homes, in her dressing rooms, in her office. Laura has it in her office. And we have it as one of the guidelines in our group. Please take responsibility for the energy you bring into the space. We are all like little beacons sending yes. and receiving yes. these these energies. And so we think it's important to live by that guideline and take responsibility for the energy that we bring into the space, which includes this podcast. Amen. And that yes. is my spark, which could go, the ocean of the spark could go on and on indefinitely, but I think that is my spark for today. I think we'll harken back to the spark because it does connect to so many things. And like you said, like, um, I, even in the, like the nutrition and the movement, like we've heard some of these things before, but to understand them in a larger context, to understand them from the sense of like, what operates our entire body that's right is you know this this machine and it needs to stay healthy and this yeah. is how you and can not live just our body way. but our consciousness our, and our thoughts yes. everything yes and our so world. yeah does it mean that i'm going to stop eating yeah. kettle corn at night before i go to bed i'm not sure but when but, I reach for the kettle corn, it will be an informed choice because I'll be saying now, you yeah. know, if you do this, it's going to make it harder for those cells to clear out waste as you sleep. Do you want to make yeah. that choice? And sometimes yeah. having that information makes it easier to make a good choice. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. And I think, you know, speaking as a highly sensitive empath, people being more conscious of the energy they bring into the space. Oh, the, you know, I, I think that we don't do enough of, <laughs> frankly, highly sensitive empaths have not been recognized enough. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> That's another spark for another day. Um, but I mean, in terms of like, um, our groups are full of highly sensitive empaths. Yeah. A lot of artists are, and that's what makes, you know, in many cases, that's what makes them so connected to their art and to, selfishly kind of bring in whatever, whatever, without thought, whatever yeah. stuff you're dealing with into a space like that. You don't realize like they are like, like you said, we're all these receptors and there's like these little open, open vessels ready to receive. And when someone comes flying in with, um, you know, negative energy or, aggressive energy character two, you know, character two character on the scene two, yeah. yeah it's it can be incredibly disruptive so not saying that you know people can't ever be character two but to be aware when you enter a group space i think is about it this for us for others or not for you and yeah. i you and i collaborate yeah. all day every day and you know that means we are two human beings riding the roller coaster of our lived experiences yes. and there are times i think we probably 
each of us probably does better or less well managing the energy we bring into the space. But I do see how we try to be conscious of it. And I feel like this information and being able to say, to say to you, Laura, I'm not sure if it's because of the kettle corn I ate for dinner last night, but I am rocking character two so hard right now. And I'm trying to change my thinking and I'm trying to get over into up into character one or over into character three. And I just want to put you, I just want to acknowledge that and put you on alert. Well, I think this is really interesting because, um, you know, when you say freedom, like that's your word for me, it's authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. It's truth. Yeah. And so for, I think for many years, I thought that the glory of like being able to tell the truth and be authentically me meant that like, if you ask, how am I doing? You see, I mean, for a lot of people, I'm sure I would still be like, I'm great. Um, but if you, someone I care about, someone I trust said, how are you doing? I would answer as truthfully and authentically in that moment of here's what it is. But I'm now realizing how much better it may be that this doesn't mean that those things aren't true, but whatever it is I'm feeling before I enter this space, can I make that shift into a different, into a different quadrant? Why do I stumble all the time on quadrant into a different quadrant? There you go. Quadrant. Nailed it. Nailed it. That's a quadrant (laughs) right there. Um, (laughs) I'm in this quadrant. So, Taking a moment to do that does not make the other thing untrue. And it does not make it inauthentic. It means I made a shift in my energy prior to arriving in this conversation, which is not to say you won't, uh, you know, uh, come upon me one day where I'm like, I am not good right now. I am in this and this is is where I am and this is the truth. That's what I'm going to tell you. Um, But... If I can make the shift prior to our appointment, our previously scheduled time together, uh-huh. then how great, how great would that be? Yeah. I, again, the swimming pool becomes the ocean and my yes. thoughts travel into life is filled with all sorts of things. There's ups, there's downs. This is the part of the the whatever quadrant sees things in black and white. And I don't mean to be reductive, but there's so many different dimensions and shades to life. And it's not to assign, um, to say, oh, we want to make sure that we cut out that negative stuff. We we don't want to cut it out. It's just about having choice because there are things that have um, grief and pain and I guess darker feelings associated with them. And they're part of, they're an important part of the lived experience too. But what you're saying, Laura, is that can be true. Mm -hmm. Evidence fact-based, it can be true. And also the flavor, the the part of the brain that you let examine that and express that doesn't have to just default completely subconsciously to like, just to continue to go back to that sort of like character two or that, you know what I mean? Uh, 100%, particularly when I'm not currently in trauma. I would say caveat uh, is someone experiencing trauma. Yeah. They're going to, you know, it is different. You may have different levels of ability to shift your energy. And if you are going through a trauma, it may not be 
incredibly easy until you have some healing, right? Okay. Here's another, here's another feature of the ocean. Here's another feature of the ocean. There's somebody who's very near and dear to us who is like really, really going through it. And, uh, both in real time, but also anticipating future mm. loss. And I wonder if there might be ways we can support this person by helping them in addition to the time that their brain is spending in character two space and care, even character one space that we could support them and having some time in character three and four space. A 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. I yes, think to all that. I think at, because this is an ocean, uh, we're just going to call pencils down now. I think, I think we're, we have to. But, <laughs> we have to. But more on this. <laughs> but more on the story as it develops. Oh, man. Laura, I hope you enjoyed this spark as much as I did. Uh, and listeners, same for you. You beautiful whole brains. Susie Q, amazing job. This episode of The Spark File was made on the lands of the Lenape people and the Seminole people. And as always, we hope that it put another bunch of sparks in your file. Listen, if there's a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you've taken a spark and fanned it into a creative flame and you'd like to share that, you can email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our website, thesparkfile.com. We will even take your feedback, but you know the price of admission. First, you must share a creative risk that you've taken recently. You can follow us on social at The Spark File and be sure to subscribe, rate, and even five-star review this podcast. It really helps other listeners mm-hmm. to find us, especially subscribing. So please do that. If you like this podcast, we do hope that you'll share it with people you love. And If you didn't like it, you know what? We take responsibility for our emotional (laughs) triggers. So you can have your thoughts and your feelings and it doesn't really affect us. That's right. If something tickles your fancy and gets your creative juices flowing, we are writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It's your turn to take a spark and fan it into a flame. You got to take it and make make it. it. Bye, friends. Bye. You beautiful brains. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in the spark files. Could be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in the spark files. I jump into my spark files. Let's open up the spark fire. Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality, energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, 
There's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with the Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. thesparkfile.com. Register now. Register now.